Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spropolis. We will be followed, uh, joined in just a moment by Corbin Ford. Um, this is Thursday, November 2nd. As we, as I tweeted out earlier today and in previous days, this will be our second episode of the week. And moving forward, we will have two episodes per week. We'll have one that we record on Sunday nights and release uh, Monday at midnight Eastern time. And then we'll have one we record on Thursday afternoons it's three o'clock eastern time and this will be released very soon after recording so we'll do that but the distinction here is that this thursday episode is completely just natural it's, it's just a conversation between corbin and myself we don't prepare any outline we don't prepare any notes we don't have any stats in advance we just have some topics to talk about that are interesting it's really just a, a 30 minute um unedited kind of free-flowing basketball conversation between two writers, analysts, and fans of the game. It's really natural. It's completely different from our segmented show on uh, on Sunday slash Monday. So uh, let's get Corbin on and uh, let's just talk about what Corbin, what, what's going through your mind? What, what have you been noticing the past couple of days that really, you know, stuck with you and you want to talk about today? You know, it's been a crazy slate of games, especially yesterday. I, I'm still stuck on the Cavs. I don't know. I mean, it's starting each loss just raised my awareness even more. So that's something I was thinking about. And also the Mavericks. I mean, they had a pretty competitive first half against the Clippers, and then everything just fell apart. So I also want to touch on those two. I'm kind of concerned about those teams. I, I got a fond, you know, fondness for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just pulled up the uh, defensive rating ranks, and conveniently the Mavericks oh. the Mavericks are 30th in the league in defensive rating, and the Cavs are 29th. Um, <laughs> the Mavericks' defensive rating is 111.5, the Cavs is 111.3, and then 28th, very close to them, is the Timberwolves at 111, but they are actually 5-3 and three because their offense is better than both those teams, and they've been good in close games down the stretch, but let's not kind of diverge uh, to the Timberwolves right now, but yeah, the Cavs and Magic, I mean, not Magic, Mavericks, excuse me, the Magic one of the teams that's really been on my eye and we'll talk about them later but the Mavericks and Cavs are have just been terrible defensively and and they're two different teams right the Cavs obviously are expected to make the finals again most people at this point most reasonable people at this point do not expect them to put up a fight against the Warriors just because the Warriors got better and the Cavs simply got older um and just don't have the pieces anymore like if if the Cavs make the finals again I honestly would predict a Warriors sweep because they were so close to doing it last year, and I think oh. that they're even better this year. Um, but just now, I mean, the, the the Cavs are three and five. They just today the news came out that Tom, Tristan Thompson is going to be up out up to a month, three to four weeks, and obviously he's one of their better defensive players. So missing him uh, is not going to improve this defense anytime soon. Their effort has been really. It's just not there, and then the, my concern, and I think we, we talked about this on uh, the episode a couple of days ago on our segmented episode about how I have really long-term concerns about their defense because the players they have now, Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose, Jose Calderon, Jeff Green, are just not good defensive players anymore. Wade his Wade used to be a good defender. He's still a good shot blocker for a guard, but his, his effort's not going to be there at this stage in his career. Derek Rose, Jose Calderon, Jeff Green have never really put it together defensively. Calderon is, is a terrible defender. Derek Rose doesn't really, you know, won't give you anything defensively either with Jeff Green. And then their key guy that's going to come back in January, Isaiah Thomas, no matter how hard he tries, is one of the worst defenders in the league just because of his height and, and his size. So th- there's no real path for them to improve except with their effort improving. But obviously, I just don't see that happening with the guys they have on this roster. Plus, you have to figure that LeBron likes to coast in the regular season to make sure he's ready for the playoffs. So he's not going to be stepping up his effort anytime soon, um, which is smart for LeBron at this stage in his career. So I just have 
it's like not one of those teams where it's like, oh, they can flip the switch and be great defensively later. Like, I think in the playoffs, when it comes down to it, they'll be fine. Like, they'll be passable defensively, but they will never be good defensively this season, um, mainly just due to the personnel they have this year. I, I agree. And what's scary to me is that you were talking about LeBron, you know, not really stepping up. And, and, and it didn't really happen a lot. But even yesterday, I thought you kind of saw he had an animal. I think they were within six points toward the end of the fourth quarter. And I think that's as close as they got. But just before that, LeBron had basically powered his way in for a layup, had the end one. And you can see in his face, hey, like, we're not going to lose this game. That's at least what I saw. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, we've woken LeBron up. And immediately, I think the Pacers went on an 11-0 run and just pushed the game out of reach. And that's scary to me because you're right. Defensively, the, the ceiling is pretty low. Even when they all lock in for playoff pressure defense, there's a, there's a limit to how active that is or how good that is. So that's kind of scary, but they, any, at this point, any team that has a decent shooting night against them has a chance. And it used to be, okay, when they lock in, it'll only be the Warriors, the Celtics, the upper tier teams that will still win the Rockets. And now the Pacers, they shot 60% from three. They shot 26 threes, made 16 of them. And in certain stretches, it was like the Cavs were keeping it close, chipping away. And then the Pacers were going like a six Oh run. And push it back out of reach, and so that kind of scares me. I'm, 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 I'm thinking that although LeBron isn't playing as he will in the playoffs and the finals, where he's literally going to take over, he is trying to exert more control over the ball game, and it doesn't seem to be having any effect on this Cavs team. They're still disjointed offensively, and just limited to defensively, and, and that's kind of worrisome to me. Yeah, and I have two things. One, I like to give credit to the Pacers because. They they have been they've been really good offensively this year. They have the third best offense according to offensive rating this year at 109.3. We know Victor Oladipo has been playing out of his mind. Demonis Sabonis has been really good. Now that he's been u- being used in a more natural role. So I want to give credit to the Pacers as well. They're five and three uh, with a really good offense, and and they're they're more fun to watch now um, with this kind of fast paced free free flowing offense that they haven't had in previous years. And I want to go back to your point about the Cavs offense because last season the Cavs defense was terrible. We were all talking about it. They were like twenty fifth in the league towards the end of the season. We were saying the Cavs are just bad defensively. Should this be a concern? It ended up not being a concern because they dominated their way to the finals again. But last year they had like a top four or five offense if I believe correctly, which, you know, they could make up for their twenty fifth ranked defense with a top five offense. This year, as of now, of course it's only been eight games for them. They have the sixteenth ranked offense. That's below league average. So when you factor the sixteenth the sixteenth ranked offense with the twenty ninth ranked defense, that is a recipe for for being a ba- mediocre to bad team. Obviously they will turn it around enough, but I think that Based on their effort and just what I said before about their personnel never being a good defensive team, I would not be surprised if the Cavs finishes like a three or four seed. And of course, that really doesn't matter for them because any team with LeBron will most likely be favored even if they don't don't have home court advantage. But the fact that their offense isn't where it should be and was last year is really what's killing them because their defense was really bad last year, but they were able to make up for it with a top five offense. Now they don't have that luxury, at least as of right now, through eight games, obviously their offense can turn it around. Um... But that's that, that's that's one of the bigger issues with the Cavs that their offense isn't there to make up for their bad defense. Sure. Yeah. So uh, all right, let's talk about the Mavericks because you also brought them up. And uh, so the Mavericks, as mentioned, are the 30th ranked defense at 111.5. Their offense is uh, nothing to write home about. It's uh, 24th in the league at 99.7 with a, a nice that leads to a nice net rating of 
minus 11.7, which actually is only 28th in the league due to the Kings and Bulls being worse. Um, but the thing about the Mavericks, obviously they've had some injuries to Seth Curry. Um, they're relying, you know, their, their situation with Nolan's Noel is interesting. But the thing, to, the really important thing about the Mavericks, and I saw this tweet today, is that they are currently now, uh, they're 1-8. and eight. And they have the hardest schedule in the league in November. And I had to go check. And I just pulled up their schedule for November. Oh, so yeah. bear with me. I'm going to read out their November schedule. And I want you to try and see how many wins you see for the Dallas Mavericks. All right. So they lost to the Clippers yesterday. That counts because it was November 1st. Next game, at home against the Pelicans. At Minnesota. At Washington. Home against Cleveland. At Oklahoma City. Home against the Spurs. Home against the, Timber- <sighs> home against the Timberwolves. Home against the Bucks. Home against the Celtics, at the Grizzlies, home against the Thunder, at the Spurs, and then home against the Nets. I think they could win one game the entire month. I, I, I'm sorry. When you read that murderer's row and like the Thunder, the Cavs, and the Spurs, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the same thing. Maybe the Nets, even the Nets, uh, that'd be giving a disservice. The Nets I, are much improved and could also give them problems. I think that re- I think that I would have them beating the Nets because they were at that point. I have them losing the twelve previous games, so I feel like at that point <laughs> they would have they Carlisle would just be like have some self respect for yourself and 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 just you have to win this game, which means that means if if my prediction comes true that they would go one and twelve or one and thirteen if you count the Clipper game last night one and thirteen mm-hmm. in November. Or one and twelve from now, which means they would be at two and twenty. I mean, no one expected wow. the Mavericks. No one expected the Mavericks to be the worst team in the league, but they are stealthily going to end up with a top three or five pick. Yeah, that that Chicago Bulls level bad. And, and and I have a question for you about that. If they do go on that stretch, and I, I for one, believe that he's safe. But is Rick Carlisle safe if they're 2-20? I mean, he's been with them, what, 11, 12 years now. He's obviously been successful. He knows how to make something out of nothing consistently with these patchwork rosters that they've had to work with. But 2-20, and and, and this could very potentially be a, a real thing. Is, is he safe? Is, is his job secure like like a Popovich if that were to happen? Or are you seeing something if that if that goes on that trend? Uh, my my thinking is that he's safe, like no matter what. My now a new theory. I think I yeah. should. I, I'm coming up with this new, not a theory, just an idea. I think this could be Dirk's last year, and I think that they could end this year. Let's say with, let's say they end up with a top three pick, and Dirk's on his way out. I think Carlisle, he might stay, but he also might leave with Dirk, and a new coach can come in because they would have Dennis Smith Jr. They'd have whatever player they pick from this year's draft because it looks like they're going to have a top three or top five pick, which should be a good player. You combine those two players, maybe they bring back Noel, Seth Curry, Barnes. Like I feel like maybe if when and if Dirk leaves after this year, Carlisle, it would make sense for Carlisle to leave with him and then have a new coach come in for this kind of new era of Mavericks basketball without Dirk, without Carlisle, using building around Dennis Smith Jr. and whoever they draft with their what's likely to be a top five pick in this year's draft. That that's what I feel like. I feel like he won't get fired in the middle of this year. I just feel like mm-hmm. you know they would have a discussion. They would talk, they would sit with Dirk and they they would sit with Carlisle and obviously Mark Cuban and they would say you know. Like, Dirk, are you leaving? And then Carlisle, if Dirk says, yeah, I'm going to leave, then Carlisle says, you know what? It looks like it's going to be a new era of Mavericks basketball without Dirk. Let's let's hand the reins over to a young coach to, to grow and, and kind of, quote-unquote, rebuild this team around Dennis Smith Jr. and whoever they pick uh, in next year's draft. That's just what I think. 
That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. That probably is more likely. I was of the belief that if they end up being that bad, or as bad as we feel they're going to be, that Dirk would try to come back just because that'd be a horrible way to go out, you know? But he could do a Kobe. Remember, that, that very same thing happened two years ago where the Lakers were just bottom basement level of a team. And then Kobe, about a month, two months since, said, hey, this is going to be my last year. And then it turned to a farewell, an imprompt farewell tour, you know? And then that could be the case where Carlisle does basically what Popovich always joked he was going to do with Tim Duncan and just falls him out the door. But that, that'd that be a very depressing finish. Wow. Now, now I'm in my feelings about the Mavericks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And the thing with Dirk has been doing this for like the past two or three years where he comes back for like one more good playoff run. And they've been, they've been just putting a team around him that's like – that's that the maximum – you know, potential of a team around the Mavericks the past couple of years has been like 35 wins, maybe 40 at best. Like they have not been putting around, they've not been put um, like enough pieces around Dirk to actually make a playoff run, even though Dirk keeps coming back every year, of course, to keep playing, but also deep down, you know, he wants another extended playoff run, but the West is tough, is like too tough at this point. And just the players they have around the Mavericks, it makes sense. It makes more sense for the Mavericks at this point to, to not, I mean, tank. Yes. Cause but just you know, find their way to get a really high pick because it makes more sense for this point to just build around Dennis Smith Jr. and whoever they pick at next year's draft. It doesn't make sense for them to try and compete for the playoffs, especially after this start and what could be a two and twenty start after the November. Um, and yeah, it's a terrible way to go out. But at this point, I mean, if Dirk comes back next year, that team is going to not be better than this year. I mean, they won't have financial flexibility, especially with considering what they do with Noel. Um, I don't see any marquee free agents saying, oh, let me go to Dallas where I can compete for a title because they're just not there yet. Dennis Smith Jr. is too young. Whoever they draft in next year's draft will be too young. Um, you know, Harrison Barnes is not a number one guy on a real contender. You know, Wesley Matthews is a player option this summer. You know, he'll probably take it and stick around, but he's over 30. J.J. Barea is over 30. It's just not a team that, a free agent I feel like would look at and say oh like if I want to contend I'd go here it's it's more of a team that really should start they're a team that doesn't really want to embrace a rebuild but I just feel like it's time to kind of say Dirk we're going to rebuild Rick Rick Carlisle we're going to rebuild if you want to stay you can stay if you don't it makes sense to turn over the reins to a new young head coach and to build around Dennis Smith Jr. and our next draft pick that's just how I feel the Mavericks should kind of embrace their franchise direction at this point I agree at this time that's probably the best bet for them and uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, the Mavericks are one and eight. The Kings are right above them at one and seven, but people expected the Kings to be really bad. Uh, the Pelicans, Pelicans at three and five. Lakers at three and four. Suns at four and four after an impressive win at the. All right, let's move on to the Magic, a team that most people actually thought would be like in a similar boat to the Mavericks in that 30, 30 to 35 win range. And all of a sudden they've gotten off to a six and two start somehow. I mean, it's really one of the shocking starts. They have the second best offensive rating. So I mentioned the Pacers are third at 109.3. The Magic are second at 109.2. And the defense is also ninth in the league at 100.2 defensive rating, which leads them to have the fourth best net rating at 9.6. And the thing with the Magic is that like, obviously, I like when teams come out of nowhere to be good. Um, but this team, I, I just have some doubts about them sustaining this level of play. I think that after the 6-2 and two start, and they play the Bulls tomorrow, I think, so it most likely is going to be a 7-2 and two start. Um, I think that they'll be a playoff team, honestly, because they're just a new style of play. They're embracing three-point shooting more. Aaron Gordon looks much improved and in a more natural role. Instead of last year being forced to play small forward, he's back at power forward, which is just a better position for him. Um, but their shooting is, is absurd. Right now, they're shooting 44.2% on three-pointers as a team. 
the Warriors are are second at forty percent. The Magic don't have enough good shooters to keep shooting 44% on threes for the entire season. That's just not going to happen. Their, their shooting is going to go down, and that's why I have concerns about how good their offense will be when their shooting reverts back to like 36, 35, you know, maybe even 37 or 38% shooting. But that even if they fall back to 38% shooting, that's much different than 44% shooting. Um, mm-hmm. So I have underlying concerns about the Magic. The good thing is that their defenses look good. I mentioned it's ninth, so at least when their shooting falls off, Maybe they can maintain like a like the tenth best offense and the tenth best defense, which is still pretty awesome for the Magic. Um, so I think that ultimately, I think there'll be a playoff team. I just don't think they're going to keep up this hot of a level of play because I think their shooting is going to fall off. I'm I'm totally with that. They're second right now in points per game at 114.9, second in the league to Golden State, which I thought was crazy, and also. Field goal percentage, second to Golden State. They were shooting just under 48% of the team from the field. And you're right. The shooting, you know, they already have too many iffy shooters that it has to go back to the mean. But I think their philosophy and style has changed. Last year, they were applauding front court centric team with no one who could really stretch the floor at all. And they were miscasting players to fit that role. And now you already have more players that are where they should be. And the philosophy is more, more like, like Indiana spread out and open so that they're not just getting they're not just chucking up threes they're getting threes in rhythm they're getting threes where they could set their feet and shoot and they're not like I said I keep comparing the Chicago Bulls with the surprising shooting with the Chicago Bulls from last season they're not like that where they were all last year Rondo Wade and Butler were all horrible to average shooters and they played above their heads for about three weeks the Magic have decent shooters. I would say they're average. They're not supernova-like right now, but with the offensive philosophy that Vogel has put in place, and credit to him for doing that, I could see this team being an average team. Once once this hot start, you know, fizzles out, and I think they'll tread water, they, they, they're they going to be okay. And that in the East is enough to be a playoff team. Maybe get a 5-6 seed, you know? Yeah. And, I, and who knows what's going to happen with the Cavs and, and the upper echelon. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, looking at the East standing, Celtics at at our first tie with the Celtics uh, at six, tie with the Magic at six and two, which expected. Then you have the Magic, then you have the Pacers at five and three, then the Pistons at five and three, then the Hornets at five and three. Then you have to, then you finally get to the real teams people expected to be at the top of the conference: the Raptors, the Wizards, the Bucks. Then you have the Sixers, the Heat, and the Knicks. Before you have the Nets and Cavs, and then obviously the Bulls and Hawks are going to be really bad. So right now, I mean, teams like the Raptors, the Wizards, the Bucks, obviously the Cavs, like those teams, even the Heat are struggling. So you know, the Magic getting off to this hot start is going to be huge for them down the stretch when they want to fight for that playoff seeding. Um, and at this point, I mean, it looks like the Pistons have been another surprise team after they swept that back to back against the Clippers and Warriors, but then lost to the Lakers, which was your half court heat part of your half court heave on uh-huh. uh, Monday's episode. <laughs> um, so the Pistons are kind of are one of the surprise teams, and we can get to them in a moment because there were some rumors today about them being interested in Eric Bledsoe, uh, and I want to talk about that in a second. But, you know, the Magic, you mentioned them kind of changing their style of play. They're third in pace, so they are not that slow, trotting, boring team anymore. They are flying down the court, up and down the court, running in transition, third fastest team in the league according to pace. Obviously, we t- talked about their second-ranked offense, ninth-ranked defense, their shooting numbers are absurd. There was um on cleaning cleaningtheglass.com from Ben Falk. He wrote an article. Uh, it's titled "Is the Magic Real?" and uh, it just dives into like are these shooting numbers sustainable? And then also it looks at their defensive numbers because 
like a, I think it was something about opponents have shot a really poor percentage on three pointers against the Magic, which he Falk argues that is just not going to sustain itself throughout the course of the season, just because of the small sample size of, of eight games. So he argues that while the team will probably make the playoffs and be you know better than people expected, they will not certainly not be at this kind of uh, you know they certainly will not be winning 75% of their games this year um, once the shooting numbers for both themselves go down and for the their opponents goes back and kind of reverts to the mean. Um, I just think it's nice to see the Magic kind of fun to watch now and kind of winning games. I just love it when surprise teams uh, are winning games. And speaking of surprise teams, the Pistons, 5-3. and three. Oh. I mentioned that they had that they swept that back to back and then lost to the Lakers. But the more interesting thing about the Pistons is the, is the rumors that came out. I think it was Mark Stein who first reported it that the Pistons are kind of really getting interested in exploring trade talks for Eric Bledsoe. And the thing is that the Suns would expect the Pistons to attach something to Reggie Jackson in a trade. But then another report, I think from uh, Waj, came out that the Suns would rather Reggie Jackson go to a third team, um, which kind of complicates things but what are your like what would your initial thoughts be kind of hypothetically thinking of Eric Bledsoe's fit in Detroit I think it'd be pretty good I don't think he has and I guess in Phoenix he hasn't really played with a center that's as good off the pick and roll as Drummond is but I don't think they would obviously have the same connection that Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond have off the pick and roll it's it's pretty pretty surreal like they kind of have this just they, he knows when to make the pass, when to shoot. Like, they just have this perfect connection with that. Honestly, I don't think Eric Bledsoe meets that. But I think he's just as good of a shooter as Jackson. Much better defender. He mixes it up as far as rebound is concerned. I think that he would be more open to playing. Uh, uh, he wouldn't control the ball as much. Or I don't think fit issues would be a big deal with Bledsoe. Because he kind of fits that that mold for Detroit. You know, kind of scrappy. You know, they, they work hard. They're trying to, on the defensive end, right there with Avery um, Avery Bradley, I think would make a very good defensive backcourt. I don't know. I think it would work. I'm just concerned. Two things. One, where would Reggie Jackson go? I've been trying to think about, like, where would they send him? You know, if, if Phoenix is indeed expecting that third team to take Jackson, who, who is in need of, of Reggie Jackson? And then secondly, what would um, Detroit attach along with Jackson to get Bledsoe would it be a pick I don't see a Stanley Johnson or any of that sort coming over not only because Phoenix doesn't need another small forward with TJ Warren and and Josh Jackson but also because why would Detroit give him up but I'm trying to think of any like prospects or or picks that Detroit could attach that would be enough for to sweeten the deal for Phoenix to accept the trade I don't know those are just major hiccups in my mind but what were you thinking about it yeah I mean yeah. right now looking at the Pistons um they are like one of the most average team. I know they're five and three, but they have the fourteenth ranked defense and the fifteenth ranked offense, which is exactly league average. And their defense is one spot about above league average. And even their net rating of one point eight is fourteenth in the league. They are five and three, but they're like the quintessential average team in the league, and that's what they've kind of been over the past couple of years. Um, Bledsoe, obviously, as you mentioned, is a better defender, probably just as good as a shooter as Jackson. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's a significant enough of an upgrade for the Pistons to risk attaching something of significance like attaching like a first round pick to Jackson who event who of course the Suns would probably like to go somewhere else. Um, I don't think it's like that much of an upgrade to really you know bend over back and go crazy to try and get Eric Bledsoe. I just I think he's a better player than Reggie Jackson. I just don't think I don't see that making the difference 
Like maybe it makes a difference between them being an eighth seed or a seventh seed or maybe a seventh seed or a sixth seed or something like that. But I, I don't see Eric Bledsoe. Maybe come playoff time, Eric Bledsoe's better. You know, his, um, he's better on defense, and that's obviously more important in the playoff time. And he's probably just as good, if not a little bit better offensively. So maybe come playoff time, I think Bledsoe has a lot more value than Jackson. But, you know, regular season-wise, I wouldn't go crazy trying to trade for him. And interesting that... I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's hard to find a, a trade partner that would take Reggie Jackson. I mean, some people were trying to say, like, maybe the Sixers can get involved in this and somehow get rid of Okafor because obviously that's a whole other mess on its own. Um, yeah. But uh, but why? Yeah. Especially with Ben Simmons controlling the ball as much as he does and Reggie Jackson not being as apt or comfortable to play off the ball as even Eric Bledsoe would be. You know, fit-wise, that's I've heard that, but like you said, yeah. that's questionable. Especially, yeah, and Jackson's contract is like another two or three years, and the Sixers are going to try and mm-hmm. use their cap space to get, you know, to really become a playoff contender in the next year or two. Um, it's hard to see a fit for a team taking Reggie Jackson, and the Suns don't want him. You know, obviously it's clear that the Suns don't want him. So, again, it, <laughs> it all comes back to this kind of, there are clear, I think there are clear trade partners and trade targets for Bledsoe and the Suns, like, I would love to see the Nuggets trade for Bledsoe. I'd love to see the Bucks trade for Bledsoe. But I guess for some reason the Suns are either continuing to ask for too much or the teams are don't view Bledsoe as, as you know positively as I guess most of us fans and analysts do. But I think him on Denver and him on Milwaukee make a lot more sense than him in Detroit when you have to you know, when you factor in how hard it would be for Detroit to get a trade since no one really wants Reggie Jackson. I agree. I'm actually looking at this whole deal with Bledsoe and wondering if a team out of nowhere will come and take him like the Thunder did with Carmelo. Like, wouldn't it be interesting if, like, and I don't think there's a really, I haven't really thought hard about it to see if there's a way to have it done, but if the Rockets came out and just sued Bledsoe or something. You know, like like a team that, that no one sees coming. Because you're right, the fit in general, the fact that the Suns seem to be, I guess, at least giving extra attention to Detroit when there's other teams that would have a better fit for one, Eric Bledsoe going to them, and two, having players and or picks that would come back that would further help Phoenix. And I was even, I looked in now, I was trying to see why couldn't they just trade Jackson for Bledsoe straight up? Because in my mind, yes, Jackson doesn't, he's 27, he doesn't quite fit the quote-unquote youth movement that the timeline that Phoenix is going for, but Bledsoe's also 27, and if you are going to wait him out, your trade value is not getting any better the longer you have him. If anything... they're just going to get worse. I mean, they know he has to get rid of him, or you're just going to have someone on your roster who you're basically paying to stay home, which is just a disaster for an organization or players looking from the outside in, going, wow, this is how you treat your players. He obviously wants to go, you know? So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting looking at this, but I hope something is done soon. I don't know if if I'm the minority in thinking that, but do you think there's a chance that Phoenix over the next week goes, okay, fine, and just makes a deal and just ends this whole saga? I, I do think there's a chance. I probably wouldn't bank on it because just knowing the the Suns and their history, they're just they would rather just keep yeah. him, pay him home. It, it's very similar to the Julio Okafor situation. I mean, the the Sixers declined his his team option uh, for next summer, so he'll be unrestricted. And he just publicly came out and said, you know what, I don't know what they're doing. I want to buy out. I I need to play somewhere else, and it's not going to work out. And they were they there's something came out where they were saying that we've received offers and there's more interest in him, but at this point, his value is at its lowest. I mean, he's gonna. He, there's no team option on him, so when you get him, he's gonna be unrestricted. 
He's obviously not a, you know, he can still contribute. He's a really bad defensive player, still has some great offensive skills. Um, this, he's not playing. I mean, all it takes Embiid to be out, and Rashawn Holmes is out for the Sixers as well. So he only plays when Embiid is also out because uh, they play Amir Johnson over him. Um, I mean, his value is at his lowest. They're, they're not, they, they said they don't want to buy him out. I mean, the, the way that they, you know, people used to criticize Sam Hinkie for kind of treating players as assets, but now this new reign with the Colangelos is, is they're also treating him like an asset. They're not really kind of, you know, valuing him as a person and a player. They're just kind of saying, you know, we're, you're not going to play. We're going to decline your option. We're not going to give you the buyout. Um, they're clearly, his, his trade value is at extreme, at its lowest point, and there definitely have been teams who've tried to come in and probably offer them like a, like a second-round pick or two. And at this point, I think of the Sixers, you, you have to take something for him to get something in return. I think a team like the Nets makes sense because, you know, they're not, they're not really going anywhere. They don't really have any other ways to acquire talent um, besides kind of banking on these young players. Like in recent years, they've been offering restricted free agent offers to almost every young player out there. Um, and so, they, you know, they added Russell. They don't really – I mean, they have Timothy Mozgov and their first-round pick, Jared Allen, at center. But obviously, you know – they would put, you know, they would put some priority in developing Julio Okafor. He's still young. He obviously still has talent. So, if I'm the Nets, I'm trying to see if I can, you know, somehow acquire Okafor. You know, I heard that the Celtics were also interested, but they're not really, they're not willing to give up much. Um, you know, what, what do you kind of, how do you feel about Okafor as a player? I think he's a very polarizing player. Some people, you either really like him or you really hate him as a player and how he can contribute. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Okafor as a player and maybe some other teams that you think he could kind of fit in and help? you know, and, and develop as a young player in the NBA? So for me, from, from when he was drafted to his whole playing style, I really compare him more to uh, Ennis Cantor in the sense that he's an offensively skilled big who is pretty bad at defense and yeah. I would say mediocre at rebounding. And it's probably best as a spark off the bench, someone you could play through as an offensive big, just like your fulcrum on that end for a team that needs a little pop off the bench. So, I honestly think Brooklyn would be a good fit. And obviously, yes, they have Mozgov and Jared Allen to back them up. But if you brought in a Jalil Okafor, he would get playing time. There's there's no doubt in my yeah. mind about it. And under Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson, they would be able to develop further parts of his game. He'd be able to work on his outside. He has a, a pretty decent, in my eyes, um, foul line jump shot. You know, he can use a lot, but he has that. They'd probably stretch out to three, just like they did with Brook Lopez, just like they're doing with Mozgov, although... That's questionable success, but <laughs> at least showcase him and see he's a number two pick just two years ago. He's right in the same line as D'Angelo Russell. And if you give him the playing time, give him the minutes and actually see, you know, what he can do, give him a fair shake on a on a team that's that's actually playing. You know, they're not trying to actively tank as they were continuing to do when they had Jalil for Philadelphia or they continue to do when they were actually giving him heavy minutes. I, I think that would be a great offensive system for him. I mean, even I, I would, I would, I, stinky me, I would like the Thunder to get him. I don't. I was just no gonna, I, I was just gonna happen. say that the Thunder would be interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you, he would, he would basically replace, <laughs> he would basically replace Cantor in that same mold. But I think would would find nice minutes right alongside just backing up Stephen Adams, right alongside um Jeremy Grant. Yeah. I think that would be a nice little fit for him. I just don't know how that, and maybe you know better than I do as far as like how that would work, how you could like schedule or not schedule but work a trade around that who would you give up yeah i mean i i haven't looked at what kind of draft picks the thunder have available yeah. and i know i know they used the uh they used the the, the bulls 2018 second rounder in that mellow trade alongside mcdermott and Cantor, so they don't have that and i don't they don't have their first round pick this upcoming draft i know that because that's the uh jazz have that um 
or the Timberwolves have it. I can't remember. One of those two teams have it. Um, but my thing is, if he went to OKC, I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be good for regular season. I could see his role just completely diminished come playoff time because the Thunder have Jeremy Grant. They have Patrick Patterson, who, the, who who's much better defensively and can, and can spread the floor and hit the three, who they probably would prioritize playing him in the playoffs at center behind Adams. Um, and then obviously, they don't. the Thunder don't necessarily need Okafor's offensive uh, production off the bench because now that they stagger their stars, they have one of Mello, Paul George, or Westbrook on the floor at all times, so they don't necessarily need Okafor's offense, but I think it'd be a nice fit. I think the Thunder could be one of those teams that, of course, they snuck out of nowhere really and, and got Mello. Maybe could, they could do it again. Um, Sam Hinkie seems to you know be able to swing trades for you know maybe undervalued young players. I just think it's a team that he would go to, have a nice role in the regular season, and then his role could completely be shut down come playoff time. I think it's a possibility. Yeah. But uh, I think if he goes to Brooklyn, and of course he could also be bought out, which is possible. I doubt it, but it's possible. And at that point, he would have the choice to make on his own of which team could offer him the most money, the biggest role, best organization to develop. I mean, you know, the Spurs would be interesting too because they don't really have a backup center. They have like Joffrey Laverne right now playing backup center. Um, and of course, you know, the Spurs – they're one of those organizations that players want to play for just to develop and have such stability and such respected organizations. So I think that's another interesting target. Um, so there really isn't, I mean, there are, there are a good list of targets for Okafor if he's bought out or eventually traded for him to develop and, and get a nice role. I just think that the way the situation is being handled by the Sixers is, is really doing a disservice to him as a person and a player on the court. It, it really is. It, it my it's, it's something foul. <laughs> Think about it, though. Like the way <laughs> the way these ownerships, Phoenix and Philadelphia, are treating their players as more of just assets and just letting them around the bench rather than, hey, respect their wishes and do the best you can. That that's that's disconcerting to me. That's that's kind of disappointing. Oh, real quick, this just I just saw this a minute ago, but I wanted to get your immediate reaction to it, Eric. Um, 15 minutes ago, basically, Basketball Insiders reported that Pistons offered a package including Reggie Jackson and a first-round pick to the Suns for Eric Bledsoe. If you were Phoenix, would you take that? Just right now, keep it moving. Um, I probably I, – I have to look up Reggie Jackson's contract because I think it's a year longer than Eric Bledsoe's. But then again – Yeah, it is. But I would pro- – you know what? I would probably take that because if I'm the Suns, there's no way I'm going to be getting into the free agent chase for anyone big in the next year or two. Not So Reggie Jackson's contract goes until 2019-20. So he has two more years after this year. Uh, Eric Bledsoe has one more year after this year, I believe. Um I think yeah. I would take that for the first round pick because um, Jackson. I mean, Jackson's making pretty decent money, over sixteen million for the next two years. But the Suns are not going to be signing any marquee free agents in the next two years. They're they're just not going to be good enough. Maybe in two years when Booker and Jacks and Josh Jackson are developed, and then Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, you know, if they're still developing, maybe then a, a free agent looks at them as a possible team on the rise. But until then, no free agent's going to really take them seriously. So I would take that deal for the first round pick and just, you know, have Reggie Jackson play and he's not going to win you a lot of games anyways. Um, but that's a very interesting deal from the Pistons perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. If, if that first round pick, as soon as you get any pick first round attached to that, and who knows how Detroit will be after that, I would say, yes, you want Eric Bledsoe out of your hair or I'm sorry, you're trying to maintain your leverage. We don't mind, but yeah, get rid of him and, and, and keep him moving. At least try to salvage what is left of the situation you've created in my eyes. Exactly. All right. All right. So, um, anything else you want to talk upon, t- touch upon really quickly before we get out of here? Um, no, I'm, I'm all set. That, that was a nice little conversation with you, man. 
Yeah, I know. It's our new... So, guys, we're going to be doing this episode every Thursday, hopefully, at least every kind of end-of-the-week episode. It's going to be unedited, just a basketball conversation, so be on the lookout for that. At the end of the week, of course, be on the lookout this Monday around midnight Eastern time because we record on Sunday nights for our segmented hour-long episode. Um, so that'll be up there. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow our website slash podcast at, on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Of course, you can check out our website at 94feetreport.com. And then at Corbin, you can throw out where they can follow you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Okay, I'm at Corbin Ford NBA. And my work will be up 94 Feet Report moving forward. Just trying to get some actual content going and see where it goes from there. All right, guys, follow us there on social media. Look out for the episode on Monday and have a great weekend of watching NBA basketball. Take care, guys. Take- All right, y'all.